So anyway, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We'll also be in Genesis chapter 12. Um, our uh, main objective today is to uh, continue in our Luke 3 and Me uh, focus and challenge. Uh, what we're trying to do is understand how we are connected to the very first people who ever, ever lived on this earth through uh, Jesus Christ, as it talks about in Luke chapter 3. Now, why is this important? Because, are you ready? This may be the most important thing you ever hear in your life. Context matters. Context matters. And if context didn't matter, then why does the devil work overtime to try to confuse us about where we came from, why we're here on this planet, and what we can do while we're here? The devil's always trying to confuse us about those things. But if we understand scripture and we understand the genealogy of Jesus, it's not just about who begat who. It really is a narrative of how we all came to be, how we mess it up, and how God fixes this for us through Christ Jesus and what we can do about it while we're here on this earth. Very simple. And if you live your life in that context, it simplifies and clarifies so many things that can be confusing about this world. And believe me, you'll get plenty of help. You'll get all the help you need to be confused about stuff as those particular truths about context are uh, uh, confused in your heart and your mind. So Luke 3 and me, we've started with uh, Jesus and he was the traces all, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We talked about Seth, who was the reboot because of Cain's killing his brother Abel. Uh, we talked about Enoch, who walked with God uh, and was caught up. We talked about Methuselah, and we talked about Lamech, your favorite Lamech. And we talked about Noah, and now last week we talked about Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and now we're into Shem's family as we get into the more promised line aspect of what we're talking about here uh, from the promised land to the promised land uh, as we talk about Eber and Peleg. Now Eber and Peleg are sons of Shem down, here, down, the, down the road a little bit and if you want to look at the genealogy you can look there in Genesis chapter uh, 10, uh, chapter 11 and as it gets around to the whole story about uh, Abram in chapter 12, and we are kind of transitioning from the focus on being the promised line of Seth, uh, from Adam through Seth, through Noah, because everybody was destroyed besides Noah's family by the flood. We pick up now with, the, with Noah and his blessing upon Shem as being the promised line. So it would be through Shem's family that Christ would come. And if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, everybody that's in there is from the line of Shem. Now, Shem was the youngest of the brothers. Remember, Japheth was the oldest. Ham was in the middle there. Uh, and uh, Shem, he was just the most important. So, um, or I, did I say that right? No. Uh, Japheth was the oldest. Ham was the youngest. And Shem was just in the middle. He's the most important. That's the way I remember it because I'm the middle child. Okay. Middle's the most important. All right. So you have this line, the focus of that, and then something changes here with this story of Eber and Peleg because the word Peleg means division, and it has to do with the dividing of the nations. Now, uh, the literal translation in the NIV is the earth, 
but more uh, precise, it is the dividing of the peoples, the, the, the nations, where they began to spread out. And it all had to do with that story of Babel that we touched upon last week. As we get into the more promised land uh, side or the development of this story. So the focus went from the line to the land. And we still talk about the promised land today. All the fussing and fighting that goes on in the Mideast over Jerusalem and Israel. It's still there fussing and fighting about the promised land. So the focus went from the individuals in the line of Jesus to the nation through whom this blessing would come, the Israelites, the chosen people. Now, the reason that that context matters is because the rest of the ancient history that revolved around that then makes sense. We sometimes think for some reason that when ancient history started to develop that God was absent uh, in the rest of the world except for through the promised land people, the Israelites. That's why ancient history, like the time of the flood until the coming of Christ, has fascinated me. Now, I had a professor, his name was Wilbur Fields. He's my Old Testament history professor at Ozark Bible College. And he was always talking about the Old Testament history. And when he did so, he did so with such fascination about the history of the world from the beginning of time until the time of Christ. Now, when I was 19 years old, going to Old Testament history class at 7 o'clock in the morning, to which I had to drive 45 minutes to get there, I can't say that I was always alert. But when Wilbur started speaking or Brother Phil started speaking, everyone would wake up because he would inflect his voice up and down and use funny voices back and forth he uh, did slideshows, he had posters, he had all kinds of things that helped animate the stories of the Old Testament. And he talked with such fascination about the history of the world from the beginning. And I grew to just love that time period of history. Now, sidebar, we had him over for lunch in Quapa, and I'm telling you this story if you ever come to our lunch to lunch at our house. Just beware. But we had him over for lunch in, in our church in Quapaw. Quapaw. Does it sound like an Indian name to you? It is. It's Quapaw tribe. And as I invited him to speak there at my little church, we had him over for lunch. And fun fact, and here's what you need to, to worry about if you ever come to my house. Uh, my wife asked him if he would like to have a glass of tea, and he said sure. And so she made him tea. Would you like sugar? Yes, please. And she put some sugar in. And then... Instead of stirring the tea with her with a spoon, she stirred it with her finger. She did. Ask her when she gets home. She stirred his tea with her finger. And he noticed. Needless to say, he did not drink much of that tea. But you know, have you ever stirred your tea with your own finger? And then, then you lick your finger? No one ever... So ask her when she's sick today. Pray for my dear wife. She, she just started feeling horrible yesterday, and so she's at home trying to recuperate, recuperate from that. And now she'll have to recuperate from this story when you ask her about it. <laughs> but anyway, that's not what this is. Anyway, Brother Fields, he was so enthusiastic about the Old Testament world, 
And the one most important thing that he taught us all was how we, in the, uh, in the 19, whenever, 1970, 1980s, when I was going to his class, how we were connected to that story. He believed, as do I, that the creator was active in every nation as it spread out into the world, and that the stories about the rise of Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, uh, Greece, and then the prophets, prophecies concerning Rome from the time from which Christ would come, they were all part of the narrative of God's story. And it followed the simple truth. Just like we have seen from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, Seth, Enoch, uh, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Sham, and Peleg and Eber today. Now Eber, by the way, he is the one that the word Hebrews came from. They started calling them the Hebrews because they were children of Eber. It means across the river. So this line was important, but it also illustrated something that we need to understand, and we've talked about it already. Not everyone wants to follow and walk in God's, walk with God or uh, lift up the name of the Lord or call upon the name of the Lord. And just like with Shem's family, this focus then became through this one line of his family that would make its way down to Abram. And we all have heard of Abraham because he had many sons, and you may be one of them. So if we think about the context of this, it's important for, for us to understand the story of how from Sham, Ham, and Japheth they began to spread, but before they began to spread, God had to confuse them at Babel, as we talked about last week. So God continued to be provident Throughout the world. And here's the thing that we sometimes miss. God is still provident throughout the world. This is his creation. Every man, woman, and child in every nation all around the world is still under God's providence. But not all nations or all individuals in the nations choose to believe in him as the promise through Christ. So God continued to be provident. The reason that we know that is that Paul reminded us last week from Acts chapter 17 that God marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lines, <coughs> excuse me, of their lands. In other words, God was always provident and sovereign in the way all the nations were built, still is. God orchestrated it all even though most of the nations would not honor him. So here's the deal. Here's what we learn. Context. Just because God orchestrates something doesn't mean those who have been orchestrated are playing to his tune. Now imagine that. You have an orchestra and you have someone that's up there leading and everyone in the orchestra just wants to play their own song. Now if that were to happen, would it sound very melodious or beautiful? Probably not. So what happens in the world when God has orchestrated all of this and he gives us a conductor in Christ Jesus that we are to follow, but there are different ones, different nations who want to play their own tune? It creates chaos. And it hurts. It's not, it's not beautiful. 
That's why when we get to the point where Peter says there's only one name under heaven which man can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ, he's not saying that to be uh, exclusive. He's saying that because that is true. It is the narrative of God from the very beginning in his story. Now, God orchestrated it all through the, the nations, even though most of the nations did not did, did honor him. Even those in the promised chosen people did not honor him. But they would facilitate his plan. So make no mistake, God's plan is never thwarted. It all started with the development of the nations that spread out from Babel. Remember when we read from Genesis 11... That as the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. This was not far from where the ark had settled, just south of it a little bit. So they decided to build this big tower we talked about last week. And the kids built towers out of uh, graham crackers and marshmallows and velvet. They're falling down. What happened? Did you not use the right kind of marshmallow? So I told Mary today, we have such a great team that works with our children on Sundays. And Mary's back there with them today. So I told Mary today that if the kids choose, they can eat the Tower of Babel when they're done. But I don't know. It's been sitting out there a week. Oh, but... So it's lots of fun. But anyway... With the Tower of Babel, they tried to build this, and they did it for their own glory. So then it continues there in Genesis 11. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why did he do that? Because he told Sham, Ham, and Japheth to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they weren't doing that. They were being fruitful and multiplying, but they were all sticking together. And the Tower of Babel was an, an, an expression of that and a part of the story of Nimrod that we'll get into in here in just a second. So we see a change in strategy following the flood as God organizes the people by brother and new language, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And the new languages where, I don't know, uh, there there are studies that are done that the language of Sham would have continued as it was from the very beginning. But I don't know if that's true. I do know this, that God confused the languages of the people of Babel so they would separate, go into different groups, and go settle the rest of the world. That was his plan. Now, we talked about the oldest son of Noah whose family would migrate north to what would become the European countries. That was Japheth. We would more than likely, because most of our descendants would be European, we probably came from that line. We talked about Ham, the youngest whose family settled in ancient Egypt and then spread through Africa. And then Shem, the most important, because the line of Christ would come through him. He settled in the area of Mesopotamia, which was this area of Babylon or uh, where the Tower of Babel most likely was. So you had Babel, uh, Babylon, Assyria, where Iran and Iraq are today. But as we said, they all hung around the plain of Shinar, which was south of where the ark came to rest, and Ham's son, Nimrod, he would build his first centers of his kingdom there, Assyria and Babylon, 
until God would foil his plans at Babel when he wanted to build this great big tower that went to heaven. Now, the reason this is important is this is the backstory and context of the coming of the Messiah. Why did it matter? Because all of them were players in the story of the coming of Christ that Daniel would relate later. So it fills in the mystery of Noah's curse on Ham as well. Some people saw the, read through that and said, well, what is this curse of Noah on the Canaanites, on, uh, on Ham's children? It says, curse be Canaan, the lowest of the slaves will be, uh, to, be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may... Canaan be the slave of Japheth. There, there would be an ongoing conflict between these brothers that would take place according to this curse. It wasn't just about Canaan or Ham and his children being cursed. It was about the curse of conflict that would come upon them all. Because there would be this battle that would take place between the tribes that grew from those three brothers and all you have to do is just read ancient history and know that this came true. There was not peace. There was a lot of violence. This ongoing conflict was illustrated in the Old Testament history dialogue as it talked about how the promised land came to be and then all the nations around the promised land kept coming in and attacking until, uh, until at one point You'll remember the story of uh, Joseph's uh, family going down to Egypt and being slaves there and then making it back to the promised land. So all of this is part of this context. And most of it would be carried out over a battle of a strip of land that's not that wide compared to what we have here in the United States of America. Because land would become the subject of promise as a part of this story, which brings us to Eber and Peleg, both who are mentioned in Luke 3 as a part of the genealogy of Jesus and referenced in Genesis 10 and 11. Now, Eber was the great-grandson of Shem, and Peleg was the great-great-grandson of Shem. And the line of Christ would go through these sons of Shem. And the unique thing about Peleg was, the great, was uh, twice it is said uh, he was named such because in his time, the earth was divided. Now, some people think, is that when the continents divided? No, the continents divided at the flood. This is when the nations of the earth divided and went to their normally historical places where we see today. First, it was a reference to the scattering of the nations in Babel and in reference to the rise of the great nations, which Daniel would detail in his prophecy about history. Now, the battle over sovereign lands began during this time of Peleg, as did the concentration of power in the nations led by kings or emperors. Egypt would rise to power, Assyria would rise to power, Babylon would rise to power, Greece would rise to power, all about 100 years after Shem gave birth to Arphaxad. Now, the details are important here because Shem would have been living during Abram's life. Which means that he could have actually explained to Abram or Abraham the history of the world up to that point. Because Methuselah would have been alive during the life of Shem. 
And we don't often calculate it, but Shem actually outlived Abraham, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson. Why? Because Shem was still had those long genes, and Abraham lived about 120. So the phrase, the earth was divided, means the nations were settled in their place, and the land became their source of identity. This would be fulfilled for Shem's family through Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. When the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God creates another division that takes place in which it would be Abram's family or the Israelites that would foster the promise of blessing, which would be Christ Jesus. Now, the promised land, Abraham, would become the focus of uh, identity of the Israelites. They could not separate their, their identity from the land in which they lived. That's why um, during the 40s they all wanted to reestablish the nation of Israel in the Palestine area. They did this against the backdrop of all the nations that were surrounding them that would seek to enslave or destroy them. And if you follow what Scripture says, it would have been Shem's family that were fighting with one another for a, for a long period of time. And, and, and in other times, they were fly, fighting against uh, Ham's family uh, when they were, uh, anytime they were having any conflict with Egypt or the Philistines. And then uh, the Roman Empire would have been Jephthah's family, and so there will be conflict in there too. The promised line would settle in the promised land, but it would be a source of contention for 2,000 years. And Pegleg means division, which speaks not only to the dividing of the land, but the divisiveness that is created as we fight over that land, we claim we be- that belongs to our nation. Don't you think, as uh, an American here in the United States of Am- uh, 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 the United States of America, that we are have a sovereign land? We call it the United States of America. You know, this land is your land. This land is my land from California to the New York Islands, from the Redwood Forest to the dark stream waters, this land belongs to you and me. I sang that in sixth grade. I I could sing it for you today. It wouldn't sound the same. (laughs) We don't like it when people threaten our nation land, and we reserve the right to protect it at all costs. Where does that come from? It comes from this time in history when God separated all the peoples into their different lands by language and they gained their identity from the land space that they had in this world. It all started in the days of Peleg, which means division. So what are we to do with all this information now? For the last 4,000 years, nation lands have developed and changed through war and suffering. Has God been absent in all of that? Does the promised land mean the same to us as it did in the Old Testament to Abraham and his family? 
What about the heathen nations who never had the gospel so readily proclaimed to them as we have had preached to us? Are we to reject the nation land which we believe God has given to us here in America? Are we just to dismiss that altogether? The promise made to Abraham that all started in Peleg's day was to establish a chosen nation among all the nations of the earth. But it was to preserve the promise. The promise that was made in the proclamation to Adam and Eve and then further explained to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his seed. We know that he was talking about Christ there. We might think it unfair how God did all of this, how God orchestrated all of this. But as Paul said in Acts 14, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Or why did you put me here? Or why was I born this way or that way? See, God had a plan that is way beyond our understanding. His ways are not like our ways. And God has never been absent from any nation at any time as observed by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, 16 through 17, which says, In the past, he let nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. It kind of goes along with the promise that if we have food and drink, we should be content. We should thank the one who gives that to us. There's always evidence of God's presence in every nation land. And that is why here in America, our blessings alone cannot be used as evidence of our righteousness. Because God blesses. It's evident. We can have plenty of food and fill our hearts with joy. But we can still go our own way. Now the promised land of Abraham was representative of his faith in the one who made the promise. Today it is only the righteous who live by faith and the wicked who are without excuse. That's the argument Paul makes in Romans 1, 16-20 when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. This covers everybody. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Remember how we defined righteousness? Righteousness is believing in the narrative of God that is fulfilled in Christ. Wickedness is not believing that. Because when we believe in the narrative of God through Christ, we will live by faith in this wicked world which rejects that truth and then goes their own way. But as Paul points out, 
no one has an excuse. Because of the qualities of the blessings of this world that God has made plain to them from the very creation. That's why this narrative story is true. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's why there are so many people who want you to neglect this narrative story of Adam and Eve through to us. Because if we can just neglect and say, oh, that story of Adam and Eve, it's just a phony, false, made-up thing to make people feel better. There are other stories like that in ancient history. What we're doing is we're dismissing the very narrative context that gives us the ability to make the judgments that we need to make every day in which we wake up and we say, this is the day the Lord's made. I believe this is his earth and the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And he encourages us to take advantage of that, be blessed in it, be fruitful and multiply in that. That whole context can change your perspective in ways that are hard to explain. The other thing here is that God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. God is never asleep at the wheel. Some people think he is. We are without excuse because in some way, each individual, regardless of their national home, is presented with the choice to live by faith. Now, how does this work? I can't explain that. But God says this is how it works. That is what qualifies us to partake in the promise of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, verse 20 through 29 says it this way. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What was the promise? You will be blessed through Christ. See, God does not segment us out as Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. He's the one that breaks down those walls of hostility that we talked about a few weeks ago. Our national identity really is fulfilled in our Christian identity. Our founding fathers created an environment and a law system, a governance that allows for us to freely express our faith and righteousness. Now, there are those trying to take that away. I'm not blind. But God allows us to enjoy the life created for us in our homeland. But we know that we are heirs of a greater promise exercised through Christ. And thank God for our founding fathers who encapsulated and encouraged this idea in the free exercise of our religion. Now, our duty as Christian Americans or Christian whatevers is simple. We're called to petition, pray, intercede, and thank God for those in our nation as we focus on those in authority over us. Why? Because we've learned the lesson of history. That in the context of history, there are nations that will go their own way, but God has made it evident to all that he is still sovereign, he is still Lord. And to not believe in that is the wickedness that leads to every sin and ugliness of culture. That's why Paul instructed young Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 6, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
especially for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. That's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to us at the proper time. We want to live godliness and holiness. We must pray and petition and thank. Lift up those prayers for our leaders. Because we're blessed to live in a nation by design that is friendly to our Christian faith. That doesn't mean that America is the promised land. We have not co-opted the story of Abraham. Because as we'll get further down this genealogical study of Luke 3, we'll transition from the idea of the promised land to promised life. Is what Christ is really offering. And it brings us right back to the beginning when that was lost when Adam and Eve sin, full circle. That's why context matters. That doesn't mean that uh, we're the promised land because we have not co-opted that story. And, and people may talk about you know America being a promised land, but we are a land of promise. The key to our nation being a land of promise is the church exercising and executing the gospel as the power of salvation for everyone. The church administers the manifold wisdom of God which brings the lost into the promise made to Abraham. The thing that drives me crazy as a preacher, and I know what some of you are saying, it's a short drive, Pastor. But the thing that drives me crazy is how we as a church, uh, not just the Palestine Church of Christ, but the, as a church, as a whole and here in America, have abdicated the very power of salvation that's been given to us through Christ, but being silenced. We'll talk about everything but Jesus to people. We'll talk about how we need to give them support and, and how we can help them you know, be social and how we can help take care of their needs. But unless those things are wrapped in the message of salvation, which comes through Christ, it does no good long term. Remember the hashtag my seven to heaven project that I've been talking to you about for the last couple of weeks? That's where we take the challenge of Noah and we try to get seven people onto the ark of Christ that we know so that they can make it through the coming destruction. And I'm talking about the second coming of Christ, not some kind of insight that I have of a destruction that's coming. But for $45, I'll tell you about that personally. <laughs> I have CDs and DVDs. Or Just kidding about that part. My 7 to Heaven, we introduced a couple of weeks ago. It challenges us to realize that Jesus is now the ark that will save people from the coming deluge and destruction. And not that, just that, but it saves us now. And we want to get the people that we know and we have the power of salvation and the narrative, excuse me, the true story of context, that from the very beginning of time, it's always been about the promised life that God has given to us. And now it is offered to us through Christ. 
And if you haven't yet, let me challenge you again with this thought. God will punish those who have lived in this world who do not have Christ as their Savior. It's a wicked choice that leads to wickedness. And he might be calling you to be a witness at this time, the proper time for those you know. That's what Paul believed about himself. That's why he wrote so much and he traveled so much and he preached so much. And you might think, ah, the world doesn't want to hear that. The world may not want to hear it, but it needs to hear it from you. Your family members may not want to hear it, but they need to hear that from you. The people at your work, they may not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. And then, oh, they'll reject me. They won't listen to me. Well, in good company. They didn't listen to no either. And many will not listen to Jesus even if he came and spoke to them face to face. But still, we must try. Because the shift of focus from just a promised line to Jesus to the promised land from which he would come is marked by the name of Peleg, which means division. Remember, even in the shortest comments uh, that we read in the Bible, their significance, just in the, name of, in the case of naming Noah, as we talked about, as Wilbur Fields taught me, that great professor, uh, and he passed away not too long ago, God rest his soul, it is a delicious treat to savor the history of the human race, knowing that God is just in offering the option of righteousness to us all. It's been the story from the very beginning. Count yourself blessed to live in a land of promise which protects our right to the free exercise of our righteousness and take full advantage of the freedom of speech we enjoy to express to others how they too can be a part of history, Jesus' story, as heirs of the promise of an eternal home in heaven so that they can enjoy the true promised land, which is Christ. Context matters. The same story has been told from the very beginning. And even when we go on our own way, God still tries to figure out a way, not tries, he does figure out a way that we can still live forever. Like Adam and Eve, we might dismiss it with a silly decision to eat of the forbidden fruit. Like others, we might be like Nimrod who said, I'm going to build my own kingdom here on this earth. But don't miss the context. That is, God offers us life. And when we accept that narrative and we choose to live in that life, we are living right. Anything outside of that is wicked. Christ is the answer. He is the promise. And if you don't believe in Christ today, if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you, talk to someone before you leave this room today about your need to receive him as your Lord and believe in this story, this narrative that brings context to your own. Let's pray.